Well, I want to talk to you a little bit today about being a good Samaritan. And that term, good Samaritan, it's a very interesting term because we know that a good Samaritan is someone, is someone who shows charity to someone else, especially if that person happens to be a stranger in need. We call that person a good Samaritan. And that term, good Samaritan, has become famous all over the world. I mean, all over the world, no matter what type of uh, culture, what type of language people speak, everyone seems to know what a good Samaritan is. And that term, good Samaritan, it's used by people who don't even have an idea where it came from or what it really means. All throughout history, you had, for example, a number of artists in history, including Rembrandt, who painted their own interpretation of the Good Samaritan story. And so that story of the Good Samaritan is what we're going to read today and is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Luke, chapter 10. And we're going to read this story of the Good Samaritan. This sermon, I don't believe, will take a long time, but I hope that it will make an impact on your life. In Luke, chapter 10, as you turn to that passage, know that we're in a series called Bless Every Home. Last week we talked about prayer, and this week we're talking about care, showing care to people. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and, and uh, you're invited to follow along in your Bible or read the words on the screen. When you found Luke, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, would you stand with me please? in honor of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, we read, Then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But... Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. 
Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a very simple story. Very profound story. There's more here than meets the eyes you might see in just a minute. But every single day of your life, you have a choice. You have a choice how you, how you will treat people. You can be cruel You can be calloused, or you can be compassionate. That's it. How will you treat people today? I want to go back to verse 25 for just a moment, because there's something very important in this verse that we simply cannot skip over. We read, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, the religious leader said, Teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, listen, I'm not going to belabor the point, so listen very carefully. Many people come to God with this attitude. What must I do to be good enough for you, God? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get into your heaven? Let me rephrase this attitude. This is the attitude that says, Is there a particular thing that I can simply check off my list so that I have eternal life? Because I'll be glad to do that thing so then I can get back to living my life the way I want to live my life. So what's that thing, God, that I have to do in order to be good in your sight, in order to earn heaven? What is it that I must do? To have eternal life. Is it get baptized? Fine. Dunk me in the water and let's be done with it. Is it give money to the church? Okay. I guess I'll put it on my visa and let's just be done with it. All right? Is it that I need to join the church? Is that going to make you happy, God? I mean, whatever. Okay. Sign me up. Let's just be done with it. A lot of people come to God with that attitude. What is it that I must do To be on your good favor, to be on your side, to gain your approval, to get to heaven. Now listen, if you're coming to Jesus with that attitude, like this whole eternal life thing is just something on your to-do list that you can check off. Well, as they used to say where I came from, you got another thing coming. You know, it's not about something you do to gain eternal life. What God wants from you is the same thing that God has wanted before sin ever entered the world, and it's this. God wants a people who love Him and love one another. That's it. That's all God wants. 
God wants a people who love him and who love one another. And God wants this people, God wants his family, a people of his own, so much that he sent his son into the world to die on a cross and be raised from the grave so that our sin can never separate us from him. That's how much God wants this people who love him and love one another. So what can you do to inherit eternal life? Listen, if you're asking that question, you, you just don't understand. The requirements needed to inherit eternal life have already been done. It's not about what you can do. It's already been done by Jesus. Now, all you have to do is say yes and accept and love God and love people. That's what God requires. Now, when it comes to how we treat other people, again, you can be cruel to them, you can be calloused, or you can be compassionate. We come across some cruel people in verse 30. Look at verse 30 again. Jesus took up the question of the, of the lawyer, and he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. These are cruel people that did this to this man. I'd say these are worthless people. Now, I don't mean that in a theological sense. All people, even cruel people, are of infinite value to God. All people, even cruel people, Jesus died for and wants to save. But when I say that they're worthless, I'm talking about their actions. I'm talking about the, the way I use the word in the sense that Proverbs uses the word. Pro, listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs 6, 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes around speaking dishonestly. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless, worthless person digs up evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 19, 28, a worthless person mocks justice, and a wicked mouth swallows iniquity. And so when I'm talking about someone being worthless, I'm not talking about that, that even God can't love them. That's not true at all. I'm talking about their actions have no value. They're cruel in their behavior. We have people like that in our day. Heartless people, inconsiderate, uncompassionate, mean-spirited, cruel people. A few weeks ago, our community lost a hero of a man, a precious first responder. A man who runs to danger when other people run away from danger. And we lost him because of the actions of a self-absorbed, godless, heartless criminal. But I want you to know something. God's love is so amazing that Jesus died for that criminal just as much as Jesus died for me and you. Jesus wants a relationship with that criminal, as terrible as his actions were, just as much as Jesus wants a relationship with me and you. And that criminal can find God's grace and God's mercy 
if he seeks after it. But listen to me. You don't have to be a murderer to be cruel. There's a lot of cruel people that this very hour are sitting in a lot of churches today. And it's a shame. Stealing from others is cruel, especially those that steal from the weak and those that steal from the elderly. What a cruel, terrible act that is. Being a bully is cruel. Telling lies about someone in order to hurt them is cruel. And, and someone might say, well, you know, they, hey, they were cruel to me first. I'm just repaying the favor. Really? I mean, you think the solution for cruelty in the world is for us to engage in more of it? What's the point? Where's the end in that? There's a lot of cruel people in the world. And you may or may not need to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, have I been cruel? Am I cruel to my family? Am I cruel to people that I want to be my friends? Am I cruel to complete strangers? Like I said, you don't have to be a thief and a robber and a murderer to be cruel. You just have to have an attitude of being heartless. And so we need to be on guard against that. The, the robbers in this story were certainly cruel. And I think that most of us, I believe, maybe all of us in this room might be able to say, you know, well, I, I'm just not that way. You know, I, I would never rob someone. I would never intentionally be cruel to someone. I'm, I'm just not that way. God, I, you know, God saved me from being that way. And, and I would say that's good. Because a lot of people are not overtly cruel. They're just calloused. They're just like the priest and the Levite in the story. Walking by, not getting involved. We see those callous people in verses 31 and 32. Look at those verses again. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Notice that he saw the man. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. You know, the attitude of a cruel person is this, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. That's cruel. The attitude of a callous person is this, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Sometimes, I know, it's hard to discern whether people are truly in need or whether people are just putting on a con. We've got a lot of cons out there, right? There's a lot of cruel people out there playing cons. Well, here's the problem. When you and I start thinking that everyone's out to con us, our hearts start to get callous to those that are truly in need. So maybe we need to be more concerned about not being calloused and helping people even with the possibility that maybe I'm getting conned here. If that's what it takes to keep us from being calloused of heart, then maybe that little bit of money, that little bit of effort, that little bit of time, whatever that we would spend on someone that's pulling a con on us, maybe it's still worth it. You know, the man in the story who was robbed was clearly in need. Okay, there was no doubt. 
And yet these two religious leaders, they, they saw him. It's not like they didn't notice. They actually saw him and they chose to bypass him. They made a decision to bypass him. You know, like I said, a lot of us, a lot of us in this room are not cruel, but what we have to be on guard against is being calloused. The Lord wants us not to be cruel. He wants us not to be calloused. He wants us to be compassionate. He wants us to show compassion. You know, I, I've come across, by the way, some Christians who, their attitude is this. I'm only going to be compassionate to other Christians. I'm not going to be compassionate if it's a, a Muslim or a Mormon or an atheist. I'm not going to show them compassion. If they're in need, well, they should have got right with God. You know, that's their attitude. But I'm only going to show compassion to other Christians. But listen to me. In the Good Samaritan story, the man in need was in no position to discuss his religious background. He just needed help. He just needed help. And, and that's one of the brilliant things about this story that most people miss. What was Jesus asked by the attorney, by the scribe? He was asked, who is my neighbor? Okay? In other words, who's the person that I should love? I should love my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? Here's the brilliant thing about the story. Jesus never answers the question. He never answers the question, not directly. We're never told the identity of the man in need. That's what the attorney wanted to know. The man in need, am I required to love him? Jesus never tells us the identity of the man in need. Was the man in need a Jew? Was he a Samaritan, meaning a, a partial Jew? Was he a Gentile, not a Jew at all? We don't know. And that's the point. It doesn't matter who he is. All that matters is the need. If the need is legitimate and real, then that is the person that we should love. That is our neighbor. That's our neighbor. Francis Schaeffer once said, Christians are not to love their believing brothers to the exclusion of their, of their non-believing fellow men. That is ugly. We are to have the example of the Good Samaritan consciously in mind at all times. The Samaritan showed compassion. Again, verse 33, we read, But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had something the others didn't have. He had compassion. The cruel person says, What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. The callous person says, What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. But the compassionate person says, what's mine is yours, and I'll give it. Do you see the difference? The Samaritan man was willing to sacrifice of himself, sacrifice of his time, sacrifice of his money. There was nothing that he had, sacrifice of his animal. He put the man on his own animal. There was nothing the man had, that the Samaritan had, that he was not willing to share for the benefit of his fellow man in need. Here's the reality. It's very simple. You can be compassionate. Being compassionate is a choice. It's a choice you make every day. Now here's what's not a choice. What's not a choice is 
when you choose to come across someone in need. I mean, you never know when that's going to happen. It could happen today before you leave this building and get out to your car. It could happen at any time. You could come across somebody in need. But listen to me. If helping a person in need is a possibility of happening anytime, then you and I need to be compassionate every day. Every day. We should have the example of the Good Samaritan in mind. With our eyes wide open, who can I help? Who can I bless today? Who can I be of assistance today? How can I help? Remember, You have been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. You've been blessed to be a blessing. And again, I want to share with you a really good way that you can be compassionate with the people in your very own life, the people that live on your street. I want you to choose to be a light for God in your world. How? I'm asking you again to adopt your neighbors as people that you will bless by living an intentional pray, care, share life with. If you haven't already done it, on our website, broadviewchurch.com, you can click on that Bless Every Home card. There you can sign up to be a light in your neighborhood. Again, You'll receive the names and the addresses of the people that live close to you. And you can keep track of how you are praying for them, how you care for them, and how you share Christ with them. It begins by praying for your neighbors. And then, once you begin to pray for your neighbors, once you begin to realize that that guy next to you, Mr. Smith, who you've lived next door to for 10 years, but yet never knew his name. But now you know his name because you signed up. And you begin to pray for Mr. Smith and Miss Martha, his wife. And you just begin praying for them in the privacy of your own home. I promise you, you'll start looking at them with different eyes. They won't simply be a nameless faceless nobody that lives next door to you that you don't have to care for because you got your own life to live. And I'm concerned that in our country, we have become Christians who have become exactly that. Entities into oursel- unto ourselves that have no comp- care and compassion for the people that live 100 feet next door to us. And if that is what we have become, because that's what our society has become, we need to be the people that overcome that. We need to be the people that care enough about the person next door that we know their name. That we show kindness to them. So that in a week from now, when the ambulance comes and takes Miss Martha away to the hospital, they've got someone that they know that loves them and cares for them. And you can go to them, and you don't have to introduce yourself to them. You're able to say, how can I help? And they know that you're there to help. We have to be people. We have to be people that care 
for the people around us, in our world, whether that world is work or school or whether that world is our next-door neighbors. What I'm asking you to do is to begin to expand the world of your mind by signing up to be a light to the people in your own neighborhood. Begin praying for them. Begin caring for them. It begins with prayer. Because once you begin to pray for that person, you do begin to care for them. And you can show kindness to them. We started to do this ever so briefly, very quickly, here with some of the neighbors of our own church campus. Okay, We did this not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. We went prayer walking over to this neighborhood over here with the single homes, the single family homes over here. And we prayer walked about 50 different single family homes. And then a few days later, some of us went back and we care walked. Here's what we did when we care walked. We knocked on their doors, said, hi, I'm David. We're from Broadview Baptist Church right over here across the street. We just want to let you know that uh, we're here and we care about you. And if there's anything we can do for you, uh, we're right there. You know how many angry, upset, livid people we ran across? Zero. You know what we did run across? We ran across family after family after family that were young, that had kids. The very same type of people that we wish we had more of here in this building. They're right there. Right there. Right there. We have to care about them. And so, again, real soon, on the 22nd, in fact, we're going to go prayer walking again to the same neighborhood, just some additional homes. Maybe if enough people come, we'll hit this neighborhood as well with townhomes and duplexes. Just prayer walking. Walking down the street, saying a prayer. I've written out all the prayers saying a prayer for each home. And they're on a little key ring, and you just say a prayer as your little group walks past each home. Very easy to do. Get some exercise, too. Okay? We're going to go prayer walking again on the 22nd. Early thereafter, we'll do some care walking, meet some more of our neighbors. God has given us these neighbors. And I don't know about every other church in northwest Lubbock, But as far as I'm concerned, these neighbors are mine. These neighbors are ours. Okay? We have to begin showing care. We have to have more outreach at our church. Okay? Something we're going to do real soon. This week I intend to talk to the captain or whatever his title might be at the fireman station right over here, half a mile away. What can we do for them? Our first responders. There's a police station, a north substation being built right across the street from it, a half mile away again. It'll be built, I'm told, October. I've already been talking to the city manager about that. What can we do to be a blessing to them? Okay? I want us as a church to not be this. I do not want us to be people that love one another and come to church and receive, and, and, and that's it. I want us to be all of that plus people that are on mission 
for God reaching people that are in just as much need as that Macedonian call. We just sang about it a couple of songs ago. Heard the Macedonian call today. What's the Macedonian call? A guy was in Macedonia praying for God to bring him salvation. How many people in that neighborhood right there? How many people in this neighborhood right here? They're sitting at home right now. Not going to church anywhere. Not hearing the gospel. But how many of them are in desperate need of God? Are calling out to God even this very moment? We'll never know unless we get on mission. We'll never know unless we're like Paul. And ready to hear the Macedonian call. Ready to show love and concern. To pray for and to care. Not just for one another. But for the neighborhood around us. For the people of our community. That's what God has called us to do. That is who we will be. I am glad that part of this COVID thing has gotten behind us. I know there's a variant out there, and I know things might be picking back up, but listen to me. It is time for us as a church to be active, engaged in the community, looking for ways to bless people. One of the things that I've been praying for for quite a long time now is for people, for any of you, to come to me and say this, Pastor, I want to lead this. And I don't care what this is. I don't care what this is. What do you, you might say, what do I mean? Here's what I mean. In the year 2000, I had a man named Tim Newman, member of our church, young man, 27 years old at the time. He said, Pastor, I got a crazy idea. We got all this extra land in the back of the church. I want to do a paintball ministry. I said, let's do it. Brought to the church for the business meeting. Someone raised their hand. They said, you mean we're going to be shooting people for Jesus? I'm like, yeah, we're going to shoot people for Jesus with paintballs. Kids will love it. Started a paintball ministry. 95% of the kids who came to that paintball ministry, or the families that came to that paintball ministry, had no church involvement whatsoever. They heard the gospel. They heard the gospel by playing paintball. Because I had someone who said to me, Pastor, I want to do this. A few months later, I had a young man say to me, his name was Gerald Warmack. He said, Pastor, I want to lead a, an Awana ministry. I said, let's do it. We started Awana, a great children's ministry in the church. Let's do it. Started an Awana ministry. Kids started hearing the gospel. Kids started, started uh, uh, memorizing scripture through that program. I'd love it if someone said to me, Pastor, I want to start a grilling ministry. I want, to, I want our church to spend $10,000 on a portable grill, and let's, let's grill some burgers, and let's go to the football games, and let's give away burgers and hot dogs, and let's talk to people about Jesus. Or if people said to me, Pastor, I know how to fix cars. I want to fix cars for single moms. I'll say, let's do it. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you can do. I'm looking for people who are ready to step up and lead ministries that reach out into the community. And we'll do it. We'll do it. The church will get behind you. We'll do it. I want you to start dreaming. I want you to start envisioning what God can do. 
Park Ridge Pregnancy Care Center was born because someone at Bacon Heights Baptist Church said there is a crisis in our community of unwed mothers and we need to minister to them so that those kids are not aborted, so that those young ladies are not left alone. How many thousands upon thousands of people have been blessed through Park Ridge Ministry? It, it became a reality because someone said, we got to do something. So what is it in your heart that you think, we got to do? And if you come to me and you say, Pastor, I've got a great idea for you to do. Wrong. <laughs> Ephesians 4.12 says, My job is to equip you for the work of service. I will support you and help you in any way you can. But I'm, I'm concerned that our church might turn into a church that loves and prays for and is concerned about and is compassionate for no one other than ourselves. We can't be that. We can't. We must be on mission for God. When I see the teenagers in this community and the kind of homes they're coming from and the abject lostness that they deal with, and the, the children in this community. And I think the parents need someone to engage them and hold up a standard and help them and assist them, no matter what kind of family they have. We can be that kind of church. But we have to engage the community, okay? Let us be like the Good Samaritan. Let us not be like the priest and not be like the Levite who were simply calloused of heart.